Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Today, I want to read one scripture up front. It comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. If you didn't receive a sermon card and would like one, you can put your hand in the air and you'll be served at this time. Also, take note that all the upcoming events and things taking place in our strategy of gathering and grouping, growing and giving as we go can be found on the back of the card each week so that you are informed And you're a part of the know of what God is doing here. But in John chapter 5 and verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. I want to teach today a message titled, Crossing the T's. Crossing the T's. Before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, I thank you for access to you. Not through our own merits, our own performance, or our own perfection, but by faith and a relationship with the perfect one who had perfect performance, Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint and help me be an instrument to see Christ be manifested through your proclaimed word, that you would reveal Christ and his kingdom to hearts and minds, that you would pull down wrong thinking, that people would be loose from strongholds and lies of the enemy in Jesus' name, that hearts would be healed, that, Lord, you would infuse people with hope and your strength and your reality. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus. It's in His name I pray. Amen. My first official job was at Kenway Distributors in my hometown. I worked in the warehouse pulling orders and putting each order on a cart and getting them ready for uh, the truck drivers to deliver them to vendors. Some of you might be thinking what I meant uh, when I said official job. Well... Because before I was old enough to have a job, I was a salesman. In fact, I sold candy every day on the bus to and fro from school to my peers. Now to you, based on where you grew up and the busing system, that might not mean much to you. But I grew up in a large city that has had busing, meaning I was on a school bus one way for a minimum an hour and a half. So an hour and a half in the mornings, a minimum hour and a half in the afternoons. And so there was a lot of time to be a salesman to my peers. From that, I I lived and I learned the power of resale early on in life. I learned and felt the reality of the felt needs of a market. And let me tell you, that young School kids, they really feel the need for some candy and Snickers bars when they've been on the bus a long time. I also learned the lesson of market share and competition uh, because my best friend at the time, he was my next door neighbor, he took my idea and began to sell candy also on the school bus. And now that I think about it, I must have really liked him or was just a very good friend because now that I think about it, it sounds like he needed a good punch to the face. (laughs) So it sounds like to me now, thinking back on it. After the warehouse job, I worked in construction at Fort Knox with a company uh, that was contracted uh, out for updating our country's tank ranges along with building new training facilities for city and house-to-house warfare and urban style combat. I worked at a civic center hosting and serving the different events that would take place there. I worked as a crew member at a tree cutting service. I worked in a custom window shop. 
I worked in maintenance at an apartment complex. I worked in retail, both a department store and a specialty store called, you ready? Bath and Body Works. Oh, yeah. You say, well, Pastor Chad, were you trying to find a girl? No, I actually already had my girl, Michelle. We were married at the time, and we both worked part-time at Bath and Body Works. I worked at a restaurant serving tables, and I worked for Enterprise Car Rental. Yeah, you know the slogan, we'll pick you up. Well, it was actually just me who picked you up after I washed the car. <laughs> so it was just me. But I've worked as a personal realtor, as a landlord. I've worked as an author, a content creator, as a consultant. And I've worked on staff now at four different congregations. You say, what's my point in sharing all of this? Well, as you get older, I've found that often we forget such things if we don't take time to reflect on our life. That I, I didn't even remember some of the places I worked until I intentionally sat down and began to think back on my life and where I worked. And as I reflected on my life and my work opportunities, it reminded me that as followers of Christ, the reality of some biblical truths... For instance, if you won't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, what will you have financially to give to others? If you don't work, how will you gain experience? That we as followers of Christ should live with a mind ready to work. That we shouldn't just gain experience, but we should learn from our experience. We should be educated from our experience. And that God uses our work to educate us that He's designed life to work in certain ways. And He's not only designed life to work in certain ways, but He's designed us, He's designed me, He's designed you individually to work a certain way. And when I thought about these lessons, and I thought about this theme and this design of God regarding our work, I thought about two T's that we face regarding the theme of work. The theme that there are tensions regarding work in the culture we live in. That in the culture you and I find ourselves in, not every idea that the culture we live in has regarding work is biblical. It creates a tension for us as followers of Jesus. It also reminds me of the issue of transitions that when you think about the theme of work, this issue and this reality that many of us will face transitions in our work or at work throughout life. Let me talk about the first of these tensions from culture about work. I looked at sort of tensions in the first sermon regarding what I would call capitalism on steroids. And the excess of greedy mentality and people seeking to gain more and yet be empty within. But now I'm going to go to the other side of the tensions about work in our culture, which is point number one. Biblically, if you won't work, you don't eat. Paul the Apostle, he writes in his earliest letter to the church in Thessalonica and he clearly has some believers who's allowing the view of the culture they live in to affect them regarding what God actually thinks regarding work. And he says, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you won't work, if you're unwilling to work, then you don't eat. You can't expect brothers and sisters to bail you out if you're unwilling to work because that's not bailing you out. That's called enabling you. Now, when you think about this, we have to remember that it's those who won't work. It's not the same as those who can't work. But when we say that, that there's a difference between those that are unwilling to work and those that can't work, you and I who live in 2019, in America, we take our experience and read it back into Scripture. 
And that's a danger. Because you got to understand that in Jesus' day, those who didn't work, it was because they primarily couldn't work. Meaning, why couldn't they work? Well, you remember the beggar Lazarus Jesus talked about? He would have worked, but he couldn't work because he was unclean, he was sick, and he had sores. It wasn't that he was unwilling to work. He couldn't work because he was unclean. He was sick. Paul, he says, look, I've lived an example. And he said that I have with my own hands provided for my necessities. With my own hands provided for my necessities. It hit me. Could you imagine in America, in church life in America, if we applied this reality to local church? Meaning, listen, as a member or a participant in a local group of followers of Jesus, could you imagine if we applied it and said, look, if you don't work and serve and get involved with God's doing, you don't get to just be a consumer. Could you imagine what the church in America would look like then? It would make believers not just be consumers, but participants in God's active work through His body to reach people and serve people with the kingdom of God. My second point is this. When you think about tensions in the culture around us, my second point is if you don't work, what will you have financially to give to others? See, as followers of Jesus, we're not just to be receivers. We are to be givers. God so loved that He gave. And as followers of Jesus, we're not to just be people always looking to receive. We're people empowered to give to be able to help others. But if we don't work, what will we financially have to give others? How can we live out who Christ made us be through the new birth if we have nothing to give? Now again, as I said, the last sermon I dealt with, that there's many people who work and receive financial wages for their work. And a lot of believers in America, they don't give enough of what they do receive to the kingdom or others. But there's this other side of tension that culture presents of being frustrated and angry at people who might have more possessions than I have or than you have. Or being angry at people that might have more possessions than we have. And yet, those people we might be tempted to be angry at actually give financially more to the work of the Lord or to the benefit of others. That's a trap. Why be frustrated and angry at people that might have more possessions than us and yet they use their finances to do more good than some of us who might not have the financial means that they have. That's a tension of biblical worldview versus culture around us. My third point is this. As followers of Jesus, we should have a mind ready to work. I think about the story of Nehemiah when God was moving in that moment upon His people that were uh, open to be willing vessels of Him to rebuild what God wanted to be built in that season. And in Nehemiah 4, 6, you know how it describes the people? The people had a mind to work. They were work-minded. They were saying, look, God's doing something. God desires to be something. I'm not going to put it off on others. They had a mind and expectation to work. Here's the deal. Listen. Expect to work. Work is not the exception. It is the expectation. For followers of Jesus and for kingdom-minded thinking, work is not the exception, it is the expectations. And as followers of Jesus, Jesus sent us, listen, to disciple the nations in this reality. But you know what I've seen as I've observed? And it's blessed me. I see people who didn't grow up in this nation called America, and yet they get the opportunity to come here. And they actually start through their lives discipling us who grew up here that have become blinded to the opportunities that avail us. 
They, they come and they see a full open field for them to start plowing and working hard and seeing things move forward and using their gifts and skills to the betterment of their family and others. And as followers of Jesus, this should be us. We're to disciple nations and utilizing opportunities that God has allowed to be before us. My fourth point is this. If you don't work, how will you gain experience? Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about how he became all things to all people that he might win some to the saving knowledge of the true king, the true prince of peace, and the one who offers true life and rest for our souls. That if you don't work, how will you gain experience? And you might be thinking, well, what's the value of experience? Listen, the value of experience is experience is a great bridge to be able to relate to more people. Paul's saying, look, I, I became all things to all people. How did he do that? Because he had more experience. He was traveling. He was gaining experience. And he wasn't just gaining experience for experiencing sake. He was gaining experience for the gospel's sake. Wonder if this week you and I went to our job, those of us that have jobs, or went to school, went to our university, went to our classrooms, and we weren't just going to gain experience for experience's sake, but wonder, wonder if we were going to gain experience for the gospel's sake. Wonder what kind of bridges God could begin to build into the hearts and minds and the people and the culture around us. Here's where I want to challenge followers of Christ in America regarding these tensions of culture is this thought. If you live, or let's put it this way, if the life you live is the life you have always lived, you lack experience and you will be limited in who you can influence for Jesus. Listen, if the life you currently live is the life you have always lived, I'm going to tell you, you will lack experience in being able to influence more people for Jesus. When I began to reflect on my upbringing and my life up to this point and my experience now, it began to hit me. That the life I live now is not the life I grew up living. Meaning, when we follow Jesus, He begins to grow our experience and He begins to help us gain experience or He calls us to change willingly our experience of how we grew up so that we might gain experience that can be used for the gospel's sake. Gospel's sake. So don't just gain experience just for experience sake. Gain experience for the gospel's sake. Now probably here today, the, the majority of us currently work. And we have gained some experience with different opportunities and being employed in different places. And this leads me to my fifth and next point. Don't just gain experience, learn from that experience. Be educated from that experience. And to do that, it takes times of reflection. That's what's so great when we gather together. Some of us have so allowed the enemy and the lies and the tension of culture to get us so busy and so out of control and lacking dependence on the Holy Spirit for self-control and being empowered to lead our life that this becomes the greatest moment for some of you in your current life for God to help you reflect. To reflect. To be able to sit down and take a breath and relax for a moment and let the God of light begin to shine some light and reflection in our life. And that reflection can remind us of things that He's taught us from the experience He's allowed us to gain. 
See, listen, there is work that is more physical demanding than mental demanding. And yet there is work that is more mental demanding than physically demanding. And then there is work that is more relational demanding. When you think about not just gaining experience, but learning from the experience, these are some of the things we want to be educated and learn from. That, listen, there is work that is more task-oriented than skill-oriented. And there is work that is more skill-oriented than task-oriented. We can learn the different orientation of different jobs and it will become easier for you to learn where you fit. And if you learn the different orientation of different jobs, it will become easier for you to learn why the pay is different for different jobs. And as believers, we're not to be uninformed, we're to be informed with the cultural tensions of our day. Listen to me. Skill-oriented jobs require much more pre-work before you can actually get a job doing the work. Let me say it again. Skill-oriented jobs require much more pre-work before you can actually get a job doing the work. Meaning this, pre-work might just be a nice way for us to say this morning a lot of sacrifice and a lot of school expenses before you actually can get a job doing the work that you're being prepared for. It takes a lot of pre-work. Now because the pre-work is necessary, this limits the pool of potential candidates capable of doing such work. And when the pool of potential candidates who can do such work is limited, it increases the pool of finances someone will pay for someone capable to do the work. I'll say it again. When there has to be a lot of pre-work to get prepared to actually do the work, it limits the pool of potential candidates capable of doing such work which increases the pool of finances someone will pay for someone capable to do the work. Now, oftentimes I've found a tension in culture is they always try to look to the one exception. Have you ever found that tension where people try to use and find a seemingly exception and then try to base their life and their future on the one exception? Listen... Proverbs says that's the way of the fool. It's the way of the fool. So if you're looking for an exception to try to find a job or a career where people are willing to pay you more without there being a lot of pre-work and preparation before actually being qualified to do the work, if you think you find an apparent exception to that, listen, don't make it your expectation. Because the Bible says the fool is looking to the ends of the earth for an exception. But when they do that, it blinds them from the reality that probably their life is going to face. And hope deferred can make a heart sick. Meaning false hope can do us harm. This leads me to my sixth point. God will wants to use work to educate us that He, God, has designed life to work in certain ways. Did you know that God has designed life to work where there's personal responsibility? Work teaches this. If you go to work, listen to me, your boss doesn't applaud you for showing up. That's expectation. You don't get a raise and get rewarded and celebrated for just showing up. What work teaches us is that there's personal responsibility. And what we do, we are responsible for. Like you don't get paid for what your coworker does. And this is the way God's designed life to work. Think about it. 
when, when we were born, we're, we're in this growth trajectory that God's designed to move from dependence upon others like our parents and our caregivers to independence from them. Then to keep maturing to learn dependence upon God who's designed life, who's designed the way He intends life to work and then moving to interdependence upon the right persons in life. We go from moving from dependence upon others to independence from them to then maturing to learn dependence upon God and then moving into healthy interdependence upon the right persons that God has in our life. There's an order to God's design for life. And babe-type understanding and thinking, babes think they can eat or have the life that they desire without the work. But God's not designed life to stay that way. Maybe you're thinking, well, when I was a baby, I didn't work for it, and mom and dad or my caregiver fed me. Yeah, but you're not to remain a baby. We're not to remain in this understanding that we can have the life that we want and there be no work. What does Paul say to the Thessalonians? No, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't eat. What's he saying? That God's designed life to instruct and teach us. And one of the designs of life is that God wants us to prepare beforehand, not just when the need is at hand. I'll say it again. God desires for us to learn some things beforehand not just when the need is at hand. That God's designed life for there to be preparation, for there to be personal growth. And God, when He sees us falling into line with His design for personal responsibility and personal growth and personal preparation, you know what He does? He connects it with the context He's prepared to prepare us further. Listen to me. When God sees us, engaging in personal responsibility and personal growth and personal preparation. You know what he does? He partners it with the context that he can use to prepare us even further. That's why the path of the righteous winds upward. That's why we go from glory to glory. That God, when He sees us growing and engaged in His design to grow, He's not just going to say, well, that's enough, my child. No, He's going to keep pruning. He's going he's to going to keep wanting us to grow. He's going to want to squeeze all the fruit that His Spirit and His life can produce in and through us. And so when God takes our personal preparation and connects it with the context He's prepared to prepare us further, it's in that that we learn the work of patience that is developed in that process. The work of patience. And this is why, friends, listen, if you're not clear, surrendered and submitted to the purpose of this season that the Lord has for you, you'll be unable to be prepared further. You know why? Because when I'm not clear and I'm not surrendered and I'm not preparing and allowing this process of patience to have its perfect work, then when difficulties come, intentions arise, and I'm being pruned, and I'm being stretched, we will just up and transition to something else. And what happens? Listen, tension is not meant to always signal transition. And if we transition unwisely, listen, the process just starts over for me. This is why you meet any... Listen, I'm talking about any seasoned man or woman of God. I'll never forget how many times it's happened to me. When you meet a seasoned man or woman of God, you know one of the first things when they get to know you and you talk about what God's called you to or your future, they'll ask you, how long have you ever been in one place? Because they understand God's designed life to work a certain way. 
And when God sees us responding to His work of grace in our heart and we're starting to prepare and grow and begin to follow God's design and path that He has for us, they understand that God's going to connect that desire and that preparation and growth with the context that He uses to grow us further. But if you know anything about fruit-bearing trees, I'm learning a little bit at the house. Not enough to be a scholar and, and pruning, but... But most fruit-bearing trees don't bear any fruit, any, till three to five years. And some of that ain't worth eating. <laughs> it ain't worth writing or, or, or telling your friends about. That it takes time. It takes time. But tensions of cultures around us is, no, I want to reach the fulfillment of what I have in my heart without the journey of preparation and context to prepare me further. God's not designed life to work that way, friend. See, work teaches us that God has designed for us to be held responsible. For instance, the kingdom in Jesus works this way. Do you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we will give an account to the king, to Jesus, for what we've, the deeds done while we lived in our body? We'll give an account for the deeds done while we live in the body. And the good deeds that we've allowed Him to empower and do in us and through us, He'll give us praise for. It goes back to what I said before. Your boss ain't going to praise you if you're not doing good work. It's the way God's designed life. My last point regarding tension that's coming from our culture in this end is work is to educate us that God's not only designed life to work a certain way, but He's designed us individually to work a certain way. And when you accept that, friend, it's very liberating. Because some of you, some of your self-wrath some of your low self-worth, it comes from the trap of comparison. And you're trying to live another path in someone else's life that God designed for them and not for you. God's not only designed life to work a certain way, He's designed you to work a certain way. I'm reminded of the psalmist in, in Psalms 33, 13, and 15. And he said this, The Lord looks from heaven... He sees all the sons of men. From the place of His dwelling, He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Watch this. He fashions their hearts individually. You're not just the number to Almighty God. He's deeply acquainted, invested, and aware of you. The song that we sang before I come up, you're not alone, friend. God looks from heaven. He looks from His dwelling place and He sees your heart, and He has individually fashioned it. He considers all their works. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, but it was a circular letter to all the churches of that region. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, When you were born again and God recreated you and you were regenerated, that you are His workmanship and you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think about Paul when he writes to the church at Rome and he's never visited them and people are slandering his ministry and what he's talking about. And so he sends a letter of the gospel that he preaches and lives ahead of And he says in Romans 12, 4 through 8, he says, listen, all the members of the body of Christ don't have the same function. Don't have the same function. Just like he's fashioned each member of your physical body with a specific function. He's individually created it for a certain work and function. He says, likewise, for you and I that are followers of Jesus and members, he has fashioned us and created us for a specific function. Now, that Greek word function is praxis. Praxis. Now, if you're a math nerd, God bless you. I thought I was until I got past Algebra 2. Then you realize who has the giftedness that's more natural for them to become engineers. And the rest of us, if we want to go to that level, it's going to take hours and hours and hours of devotion to study. And that wasn't me. So trigonometry was trigonometry. You know what I'm saying? It was like, 
you make words up about it. Just can't stand it. But, but praxis, you remember that? In algebra, and you begin to get into geometry, it means that the line's on a different plane. It's part of the whole, but it's a different plane. Here's what praxis means. Praxis means a mode of doing, a mode of function. It represents the deeds. And here's what he's saying, because you remember the context of Romans 12? I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that you use your bodies as worship to God, that you don't just work to work, but your work becomes worship. And then what he says is, and God's given us different molds, different praxis, different ways of worshiping Him. Meaning he's saying that the way he's individually fashioned us is a different mode of us worshiping Him from our brother and sister. And he lists them. He talks about the communication function. It makes me think about those who are gifted and called in the praxis of marketing and creativity and innovation. He talks about the serving function. Those whose primary mode of worship and presenting their bodies a living sacrifice to God is through the serving function of helping meet practical needs, task-oriented jobs. He talks about the teaching function function. Those that's involved in education. He talks about the encouragement function. Maybe it makes me think about the counselors and the coaches and, and the mentors in our life. He talks about the giving function. Those that are in economics and financial gains and those who don't just work to work but those who work not just to live but they work to give. That they literally, they work to gain capital to be able to bless people and extend the kingdom of God. He talks about the leading function. Those whose primary mode and deeds of worshiping God and presenting their body as a living sacrifice who turn their work into worship through organization and organizing and oversight and entrepreneurship. And then he talks about the mercy function. Those in compassion ministries like nurses and nonprofits. And then he says this, he says, And all of you, be sober-minded according to your deeds and your function. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, don't just think about your motive and your intention. No, for us to be clear-headed about us, think about what is your mode of operation, your deeds, of how you're worshiping God in and through your work with the individual way He's formed you in Christ. I want to give a shout out to entrepreneurs and creatives. Listen, oftentimes that the tension of culture around us affects people that's called to such areas because did you know the Bible doesn't tell you? It's not biblical that you have to work nine to five. thing we have biblical is that God worked six days and He rested on the seventh. And early on in entrepreneurs and creators, you got to have whatever it takes to make it work. Whatever it takes to make it work. And it's not a nine to five job. It's whatever it takes to make it work. And oftentimes the tensions of culture, we feel awkward in conversations about our schedule and how we do. But no, no, no. Don't allow the tensions of culture to make you have wrong shame and guilt for the primary mode that God's called you in this season or maybe long time term to worship God with your work. Often, too, entrepreneurs and creatives, listen, it often comes with no supervision. And Proverbs says you better learn the wisdom of the ant, that even having no overseer, they're diligent. They're preparing their food summertime, wintertime. That listen, you have to learn discipline, spontaneity. It's like if you're a career writer, a career author, that's not me, but if you are, listen, they'll tell you you need to write every day. You got to have disciplined writing so that the spontaneity and the creative writing then has an opportunity to come. You don't wait until you feel creative to create. You've got to have some discipline time. Discipline spontaneity. 
And oftentimes there comes transitions, and this is what will lead into the second point. But listen, for entrepreneurs and creatives, it starts off whatever it takes to make it work, and you have to work hard, and you have to work long. But then there comes a tra- transition if you follow the wisdom of God from working hard to working wise. And then when you move from working hard to working wise, you move from working long to working specifically short. And then you can't allow the tensions of culture to come and bring guilt and shame then. Because there's some people that get more done in four hours and three hours and some of us get done in 16 hours. Because they have learned the unique way God's called them to mode of worship. And they're transitioning into a new season, meaning this. They move from working long to working specifically short because they've now learned and they're seeing that 20% of their effort leads to 80% of the results that God has for them. 20% of their focused work leads to 80% of the results of what God has for them. But there's tensions. And there's transitions for us, all of us probably at some point in career. So let me talk about transitions at work. Moving from your calling to your high calling. What do I mean by calling? Well, listen, every human has been created to work. All humans are called to work. However, as followers of Christ, we are not just called to work, but we're called to worship God through our work. Our work is to be leveraged for the kingdom work. Listen, and that's our high calling. Moving from calling, we're all called to work, to high calling is transitioning just working to work to now my work as worship for God and the work of His kingdom. Now this term high calling, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've not, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, but listen, it carries with it the idea of the good works, the specific, unique works that we have been created for in Christ Jesus. Let me give you an example. A biblical example. Paul, who we always say Paul the Apostle. Because we always like the end of a good story, right? Not necessarily the journey to get there. But Paul said, listen, he said he was called to be an apostle, but he didn't walk in that until around 10 plus years after his conversion. Let me give you another example. Dr. Luke, who wrote not just the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts... Listen, he spends only 16 verses describing Paul's first 14 years of work. Only 16 verses on his first 14 years of work. But then he spends 16 chapters detailing the next 10 years of his work. What am I saying? I'm saying that as we go from calling to high calling... God is preparing. He's working. He's doing what He needs to do so that He can actually get us in our high calling because out of our high calling, He can get more praise, honor, glory, and fruit. And sometimes we're so ready for the highlight reel, like the Apostle Paul's highlight reel, but we forget that he had years and years of experience and job experience and training and preparation till he walked in his high calling. And that's why for all of us, when it comes to transitions and moving from calling to high calling, it's in this that we learn the work of patience and patience being allowed to have its complete perfect work. What's James 1 say, if we'll allow that? We'll lack nothing. God will get the ingredients of Christ and the ingredients we need in us for the high calling and the unique, specific work. Work is worship that He has for us. When I think about this, I see oftentimes, and it's not always this linear or this clean, but oftentimes I see a progression from task, oriented jobs, to then skill-oriented, to then skills and gifting, to then skills and gifting and character, and then skills and gifting and character to opportunities. Let me talk about this. That maybe right now you're just in a task-oriented job. And most of us start off there. 
What does wisdom look like when you're there? And if maybe you want to, you've been praying about transitioning out of just a task-oriented job to a skilled job. Well, here's what it looks like. Be a hard worker. Task-oriented jobs is where you begin to show that you have a mind to work. You're ready to work. You're willing to, do a, to be a hard worker, to do what it takes to ensure that the work works. Get experience, have a mind to work, be a hard worker, watch this, and then people are more likely to give you a skills opportunity. Now, if you're in a task-oriented job and you're praying about a transition, maybe here's a prayer that you can pray. Psalms 119.73, I left blanks there in your card to pray, and you can make it personal, but it says this, Your hands have made me and fashioned me, God. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Simple prayers to pray for God to help you as you transition and seek Him from task orientation to skills orientation. When you get into a skills-oriented job, if we use that experience to learn, it can shed light on where our giftedness may lie. Where God the Father has actually put His anointing and graced us. That when you get skill opportunity jobs, you find out real quickly if you got the skills necessary to be able to do that skillful work consistently or if this is not the area that you're really skilled at and you should look for another skilled job. Listen, a lot of times early on, the way you find out what you are called to is by finding out what you're not called to. Can I get an amen? Amen. When you're in this though, let me tell you a great prayer in skills jobs. Psalms 33, 22. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon me, just as we hope in you. You know why? You need a lot of mercy when you're going through the skills training because you're going to make a lot of mistakes until you find out where you're skilled. And you need God's mercy and you need other people to be mercy for you. You need the James, you know, verse, God let your mercy triumph over judgment. Give me mercy in the eyes of my boss when they realize, you know, maybe this is not the best fit or skill. But it's a mercy prayer. A mercy prayer. But then we can transition as we begin to use our skills opportunities to know better where we are skilled, natural talents and abilities that God's given us to move to also a skills job that aligns with where God's graced us, His gifting. His gifting. Skills and gifting is where God's grace comes upon the natural skills He's allowed us to have or to be formed through the experiences we've gained. Did you know you can use your skills and your gifting as a gift to a company and they'll make room for you? That's what that proverb says. You can use your skills and your gifting to serve a company and they'll make room for you. You remember Joseph? He found his skills and he found where God's grace was upon him and his gift made room for him. And it's then when we're in the skills and gifting that God begins to then work deeply on our character. Skills, gifting, and character. When we're in a transition and we're finally in a place where our skills are being used, maybe not all of them, but some of them, that God's grace, because His giftedness and, and, and grace and favor has come upon those skills, and now He's building character, a great prayer you might want to pray is Psalms 119, 17, and 18. Deal bountifully with your servant. Psalms 119, 17, 18. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. Psalms 78, 72. This is where as you begin to see some competency come, God begins to then work on our character. And the psalmist reminds us of what God did with David. That he began to show competency, but then God began to also bring his character. It was competency and character. But yet there's more. You can transition further. Because once you have skills and you're clear on your gifting and characters being developed, listen, you're going to be faced with opportunities. And a great prayer, Psalms 119.32, as the band comes. He says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Notice that. You shall enlarge my heart. You shall provide more opportunities 
for my heart and my skills and my giftedness and character to be able to be expressed. But you know what happens when more opportunities are offered to you? You're going to need some discernment. Because if you say yes to everything, you might be saying no to the wrong thing. So then we have to begin to transition where now we've had some skills and some gifting and some character and some opportunities, but now we're going to need discernment. And this reminds me of the old Jabez prayer. A great prayer is 1 Chronicles 4.10. 1 Chronicles 4.10. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Give me some discernment on where you want to enlarge me. Give me some discernment to keep me from evil. I think about Nehemiah. The people sent to him a letter. Said, we want to meet with you. And he was already in this place of skills and gifting and character and opportunity. But now he's facing, he better have discernment. And he prayed and the Lord led him through discernment to write back. And you know what Nehemiah said? He sent a message to them and said, No, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down from doing the great work. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to meet with you? You've got to have some discernment. But here's where the high calling hits. Here's where I see it. The high calling is when, yes, there's the skills. And yes, there's the gifting. And yes, there's the character. And there's been opportunities and the discernment. But watch this. Now... It hits needs. Hits needs. It's when the preparation of God and the experience of God in you now gets like laser focused on a need around you. Maybe it's a need in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a need in your family. Maybe it's a need in your career field. Maybe it's a need in this region. But it begins to see a need. And you begin to meet the need. I think of Psalms 90 17 as a great prayer for this. Psalms 90 and 17, it says this, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know what? Why dwelling place exists? It's to see God through the work of His Word and His Spirit, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, to see a group of followers of Jesus be brought to the place of living in their high calling, where preparation meets specific needs, and ministries are birthed out of this community, where the vision comes to pass to see Christ manifested in many ways to many people, where the needs around us are hit with the preparation of God in us and through us. And Christ is manifested. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Some of you, maybe you've been praying about a transition and you face, is it wise or unwise? Look, there's an old book still in print. It's called The Peter Principle. To be honest with you, I bought it because I thought, as I was buying a bunch of leadership books, I thought it may, it's got to be Peter in the Bible. I mean, who else? Something. I'm going to learn something from Peter. Well, it wasn't about that. But... God used it to bless me. I don't know anything about the, the authors, Lawrence Peter and Raymond Hull, but they had some insight. They had some very important insight. Because the whole premise of the book is this. One reason so many employees are incompetent is that the skills required to get a job often have nothing to do with what is required to do the job itself. See, listen, there are companies all around in this booming economy looking for workers. And when they hear about a worker who shows up, who's diligent, who's task-oriented, who's a hard worker, they say, hey, here's a skills opportunity. But listen, when you get a skills opportunity, it takes more than just showing up, being a hard worker, and have a mind willing to work to make it work. you got to have some skills. And what he saw is, is that in this culture where people are constantly obsessed with trying to outdo the person next to them and climb the corporate ladder, and move to the next ring. He said, The very qualities which at first assured a person's promotion eventually brought about their incompetence. His premise is, is given enough time and assuming the existence of enough ranks in an organizational hierarchy, each employee rises to and remains at his level of incompetency. 
And here's what he suggests as a solution. He says if, if a person, if a man is going to rescue himself from a future intolerable existence, he must first see where his unmindful escalation is leading him. He must examine his objectives and see that true progress is achieved through moving forward to a better way of life rather than upward to total life incompetence. Man must realize that improvement of the quality of experience is more important than the acquisition of useless artifacts and material possessions. Wow. He tracks it. He looks at the research on people's physical health. He tracks all of it, that it's all stemming from we have to keep saying yes. We think that the only way forward is up. He's saying, no, no, no. If you just keep going up, you're going to go to a place of your incompetence. You're going to be miserable, though you might be being paid more. But you're going to be miserable. He says this, lasting happiness is obtainable only by avoiding the ultimate promotion. By choosing at a certain point in one's progress to abandon one upmanship and to practice instead what he might have called static manship. Sounds a lot like being content in Christ once you've found your high calling. Contentment. Godliness with contentment, the great gain. He will say, you will agree that man cannot achieve his greatest fulfillment through seeking quantity for quantity's sake. He will achieve it through improving the quality of life. In other words, through avoiding life incompetence. Some of you, when you think about transitions, is it wise or unwise? You've got to think about clearly what it takes to fulfill this job. Is it the same skills that's given me the opportunity for the job to be offered? If not, you're not going into the same thing. You're not comparing apples with apples. You might be comparing apples with bowling balls. you got to be clear. Which brings me lastly in conclusion to our text. The first in Genesis 2-3, it says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. God rested from all His work. But then Jesus shows up. And our main verse is John 5 and 17. Jesus answers them and said, My Father has been working until now. And He's talking to people who has Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy memorized. They know Genesis 2-3 and yet Jesus says, No, no, no. My Father has been working until now and I have been working. And they're saying blasphemy. God worked for six days, then He rested. What's it trying to teach us, friends? Listen, it's talking about the transitions that God has designed. That God was now working through the Son. God Himself wasn't working alone. God was now working through the Son so that the Son could say the Father's still working, but He's now working through me. It's a transition. Let me put it this way. Leaders don't do the work. Leaders get work accomplished through others. That's a major transition. And when you're thinking about a job and opportunity, you've got to get clear on what type of job it is. Because a leadership job is not a job just where you do the work. It's where you learn to get the work done through others. It takes totally different skills than just doing the work. You can have a great person in construction that would make a horrible overseer on a construction site. you got to be clear. Now listen. All of us face this transition of moving from calling to high calling. Because in Hebrews, the writer says, there remains therefore, this is Hebrews 4 verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. The writer of Hebrews said, hey, there's a lesson here of how God rested and yet while he rested, he was still working, but he wasn't working, but he was working through the sun. That the means 
and the mode of working changed. He says the same for us. There remains a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Least anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, Christ is now working, but he's working through his body. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and He's not working, but He is working. Now His mode of working changed. Now He's working through the body. He's working through the members of the body. And for you and I, what does this mean? It means that I'm no longer to be living because Christ lives in me. And yet I am living in the life that I now live. I live by faith in Christ who's living and working through me. Let me make it practical for you to our topic. I no longer work, but Christ works in me and through me. And the work I now perform, I perform by the faith in the Son of God working in and through me. Boy, you want to talk about a transition, friend, but it's a transition from all the weight upon you and the yoke being on you to now the yoke being on Jesus and your faith in Him. Some of you, what you're feeling is maybe not God trying to transition you out of a physical job to another physical job. He's trying to transition you out of carrying the yoke to allowing Jesus to carry the yoke. That now it's not just work, it's work is worship. And work is worship is trusting Jesus to provide the necessary grace and empowerment needed for the work of God to go through you in a way that brings praise, honor, and glory to Him alone. Maybe that's the transition. But what I know, when it comes to work, we will face tensions of culture around us as followers of Jesus, and we will face these transitions. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.